Hey, Jack. Well, hello, Zach. How are you doing on this fine day? Uh, I'm doing spectacularly on this fine day. Uh, is this fine day treating you spectacularly as well? It's been a great day so far, and it's about to get better, because today we're honored to have Nate Mavis from the Thinking Poker podcast on the show. Hello, Nate. Hi, how are you? Doing great. How is this spectacular day treating you? Uh, the spectacular day is treating me really, really well. Uh, it's it's an honor to be on the show. I'm really grateful you guys invited me on, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about some hands. Great. Well, uh, we heard that you have not just one, but a few hands for us. So, if start with whatever whatever floats your boat. Yeah, I mean it's it's your show. So tell me to do more hands, do fewer hands. Uh, you all are in charge here. Is it okay if they're slightly non-standard? These are from the Rio during World Series time, so they involve <laughs> Mississippi straddles, uh, and I, I'm wondering if uh, if you're cool with that. Jack, I don't know. No, that's... What do you think about this? <laughs> no, that sounds great. I mean, yeah. So our our show is sort of just just hands. So as long as they're hands, then uh, then we'll be all right. Yeah, we so, try to exclu- exclude some of our crazier home game hands just because, you know, you probably have to explain 20 minutes of metagame to really give the right. hand any, uh, you know, shred of accuracy, and we just kind of sound really spewy. So, but yeah, Mississippi <laughs> straddles sound sound good. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So this is 2-5 no limit at the Rio. I post a button straddle for $10, and I guess that's the first decision, right? Um, I'm playing between 400 and 500 uh, the main villain in the hand will will cover, mm-hmm. and other players at the table have between three hundred and a lot. <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, the, so the first question is: post a Mississippi straddle or not? I choose yes. Uh, do you think that makes sense, or, or is that something you want to talk about? Yeah, I think we could briefly talk about it. Uh, I, I mean, for me, my general rule with straddles is don't do them. And when I make exceptions, it's when the table. Uh, is generally all doing straddles, or almost everyone's doing straddles, sure. and when not, and then not doing a straddle will, you know, make the game maybe feel a little bit less fun than it was feeling mm-hmm. before. Or like, there's a lot of people where like anyone who doesn't straddle, their thing is to be like, why don't you do it? Why don't you do? It? And they kind of, you know, it's not, it's not so much that they don't get under my skin, but so it doesn't like attract that type of negative attention, which you know can maybe make me not get as much action. Um, so yeah, as a general rule, I, I don't do them, but you know, I I was in Vegas for a little over two weeks and, uh, you know, in the PLO and no limit games, I was generally straddling, uh, for, for those reasons. Yeah. So I think those are good reasons not to do under the gun straddles, but button straddles are pretty good in some respects that under the gun straddles are not. So you get last action before the flop, and especially the way it works at the Rio is that the small blind has to act first. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that that helps a lot, I think. Um, but do, would you say that even a, even a Mississippi straddle, a, a button straddle, is not profitable in a vacuum? Oh, I mean, definitely not in a vacuum, I think. I think the, the scenarios where I do them when not everyone else is doing it, is if it's a scenario where, like, one or two of the best players are in the blinds, uh, and people are very limp-happy. So, Mm. you know, I think people being very limp-happy, at least in my experience, I found is a lot less common at the Rio. Like, even if the games are kind of equivalently soft, people are just, like, a lot more aggressive than Mm. compared to, like, the games that I'm normally used to. And I see the value of, like, 
the, the button straddle increasing when you have more limps and when you're able to like get last action on the better players. So like some combination of those. Like if it's a really limp happy table, I think if you're you know kind of feel like you're clearly one of the best players at the table, it's probably slightly profitable in a vacuum. But against like even just like a somewhat you know some somewhat bad opponents and some all right opponents, I think it's probably a little bit marginally. Uh, not not profitable, but then at the same time you have to factor in kind of the metagame stuff we were talking about before. So it's never going to yeah. be a big mistake to do a button straddle, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. I like that. I like that. So, um, okay. So I, I choose to post the button straddle. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Um, everybody folds around to the player two to my right, and we're seven-handed. And so this is the, you know, two off the button. I think the cool kids these days might call it the hijack. And, <laughs> and he opens for 30, and he covers me. And uh, I'm on the straddle with five deuce of diamonds, and I make what I think is a bad call. That, that's a bad call, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, short of uh, information that this player is going to open an extremely wide range preflop and make... Uh, really big post-flop mistakes, then, yeah, it's a mistake. But, you know, if it led to an interesting hand uh, that you can bring onto the show, <laughs> how bad could it have been? Yeah, in, in, our, yeah. Last, in our last episode, uh, Jack was factoring in the, you know, giving the us an episode. Yeah, the podcast value to the podcast EV, which is not a road I want to start thinking. Because, okay. you know, how, how, much, how much, you know, happiness and how much money does a really good hand for a podcast get you if you don't have a lot of hands at the moment it's not something i want to be thinking about the table but it's arguably something that makes sense to if you are in the position where you have a poker podcast (laughs) i I think that's right i I would not i would not do podcasting to make money i I do not recommend changing your poker play to try to make more money in podcasting that's um i i let's just say i don't recommend that (laughs) yeah no but but i'm curious Uh, nate like so so when you called there uh what what were you thinking about uh, I was thinking I was calling 20 to win 47 minus rake, so 42 <laughs> at the Rio, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, getting getting 2-1 to one with position. Um, I, I'd only been playing for, like, between 5 and 10 hands, but this person seemed to be a bit of vanilla ABC. I think, I think position is worth a lot. Obviously, playing 5 high and, and a hand that has a deuce in it, <laughs> is pretty bad, but uh, I, you know, I do have the suitedness, and I do have, uh, and I do have position, and I think that he's going to fold sometimes. I haven't played at a hand yet. Um, I'm just, I'm just happy to take flops in position. I would have folded five deuce offsuit. I yeah. think five four suited is an easy call. I think five three suited is pretty marginal, but but kind of okay. Um, you know, it's a case also where where things are different because I've shortened the effective stacks by by straddling. On the one hand, that's bad because I'm playing five high and the flushes and occasional straights I make are, are worth less if I'm playing less deep. On the other hand, you know, I have bumped up the stakes. Um, flush over flush doesn't isn't something you have to worry about when you're only playing uh, uh, fifty big blinds deep or even a little bit less than that, and, you know, your pairs can have a little more value. Some of the reverse-implied badness that comes along with, with playing 5-high goes away when, when you're playing shallower. 
So um, if I had to do it again, I would fold this hand, but I'm not sure it's that that bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm- yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you're not quite at like the perfect stack size for this hand. A little, probably a little bit short of it. But I think the sort of mantra of you know call with either a stronger range. Uh, there are two of a stronger range skill edge or position. Uh, it's not totally accurate, but you definitely you know pass that in this case. And I think if this is like a totally ABC player who you're just going to own on a lot of boards, uh, then I think it makes more sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. again, it's it's like the button straddle in the situation that you're in. Like it's probably a mistake, but it's probably not that big of a one. Uh, but what I would say is there are like some factors that could make this a slam dunk call. You know, like mm-hmm. if you're a thousand deep, and this yeah. read is true, slam dunk call. If you've been at the table for an hour and a half or hours and this player is, you know, worse than just an ABC player and you've observed specific reads, you know, slam dunk call. I think it's just kind of like being like relatively short given the fact that you bunt up the effective stacks and then the fact that this player is, you know, ABC, which means you can play very well against this player, but that gets magnified with like the stack. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it probably means that they're not going to play extremely badly. Uh, you'll just be able to formulate a really good counter strategy to a you know, decent, if not flawed in many ways, strategy. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think I like this hand better with 300 big blinds than 1,000 big blinds. I think I make too yes. many non-nut straights and non-nut flushes to, to be really happy. <laughs> 1,000 big blinds deep, but, but I think I take your point. Did you mean 1,000 big blinds deep or 1,000 dollars oh, deep? Oh, I meant 1,000 dollars deep. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. Uh, okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, I think that, that to sense. me, that's like, with yeah. with all the other factors in the hand, I think like $1,000 is where it becomes like, you know, break even. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a, a thousand big blinds in this spot, you know, gives me like reverse implied odds, nightmares from our home games, so I don't, <laughs> Good. I don't like, think like about what? that. Like what? Like <laughs> what? We don't need to get into that here. Gives, <laughs> give, maybe, maybe gives Peter reverse implied odds. That's oh, nightmare. Shout out to Peter. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, so so I, the hand is played. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I call. Um, not great, but I did it. <laughs> and at least I've got a hand for your show. So uh, we go to the flop. Ten nine three rainbow, but the three is the uh, the beautiful three diamonds. <laughs> so factor everything. Um, and and my opponent checks to me. Uh, I have recently been trying to split range more and do more with bet sizing. Um, no limit means no limit, right? And uh, I think I haven't done enough in my career thinking about bet sizing and really taking advantage of it. Um, mm-hmm. So so I actually decide to bet 25 just to try to fold out like ace high, some king high, some pocket fours, some, uh, you know, yeah, ace three offsuit if he's got it. Hands like that, um, you know, a nice a nice small bet. And I think that some of what's bad about really small bets is that they reopen the betting for your opponent. But I'm not really worried about getting check raised by a brilliant range uh, in a Rio two five game. And I also don't mm-hmm. mind just holding my awful hand <laughs> if I get check raised. So I, I go for an under bet here. Uh, do, do you think that's okay? Yeah, I think that's really smart. Uh, I think 
the 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 big advantages. I mean, one you said is that uh, it's a sizing that you know likely this player is going to fold out a lot of their sort of overcard hands. Uh, you know that have little equity against the range. He's probably thinking you're betting, but in fact are things you would really like him to fold. Um, and I think you know winning check raises you like he said, you said he's not going to be very balanced. Uh, it'll probably be overwhelmingly towards wrong hands. Uh, and then also what I like about this sizing is that when he does check all this sizing, I think he's really capping his range, and you're leaving enough behind to, you know, whether you might decide you want a favorable turn card to continue barreling, or you might decide to just barrel no matter what, but uh, when he check calls, I think you're set up pretty nicely to barrel one, if not two streets, uh, you know, against that range that would likely check call you in this spot. Yeah, I, I I like this bet sizing a lot. Uh, I might even go 20, but not for the reasons you guys are saying. I think for 25, it's a little ambitious to think in a Rio 2-5 game where the button calls and it's checked to you on this dry board that they're going to fold out their ace highs. Whether that's not a mistake or not, I think most players, even those who like might see maybe see or even think of themselves as like kind of standard taggish players, are probably going to call with most of their ace highs on this board, I would guess, and definitely all of their pairs. Uh, but I like the smaller bet because I think you get kind of value from those hands, which you can easily bluff later. Like I think, I think betting twenty or twenty-five here is good because you could comfortably afford to a check raise. Because as you were saying, Nate, you're not going to get check raised by a brilliant, you know, range. Um, so I, I like betting here because I think it's a size that kind of, you know, what I like to call bluff value targets. You know, mm-hmm. most of his checking range. And then on, I think, most turn cards, you have a really profitable, like, two-thirds as pot bet. Cool. Uh, nice. Nice. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, do, do you think there's a good chance he's raising, like, king six suited, seven five suited, uh, maybe seven six offsuit hands like that, that that could give this more immediate value, too? I wasn't there, but from your read of just like an ABC player, I think if an ABC player does, like a more ABC-ish player decides to raise that hand in the hijack, I think they're going to see better on this board. So I would guess when like a player, as you described with all the subsequent actions that's described checks, I think they're doing kind of the standard like, oh, I missed, but I still like my hand, so I'm going to check call, and then I'm going to not know what to do on the turn and probably fold. Yeah. Good. Good. I like it. Uh, do, you, do you want the turn? Give us the turn. <laughs> what, what's the turn? You tell me what the turn is. I bet you can guess. Uh, Three. The four of clubs. Close. Four of diamonds. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I turn. Too optimistic. I t- <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I've got, I, I turn the straight flush draw. I turn the straight flush draw. So, um, so I've got the five deuce of diamonds. The board is now, you know, ten of spades, nine of clubs, three diamonds, four diamonds. Um, and he checks to me. So at this point, uh, we've each put in $55 to the pot. So we've got like 400 behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> he seemed a little bit, so he called on the flop. He called on the flop. He seemed a little bit confused and and tentative um i decided to bet 20 
on the turn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and I thought that it would set up uh, some river spots. I thought it would give me a good chance to evaluate his reaction. Um, and, you know, if he just calls with a hand that he might have folded to a bigger bet, that's not horrible for two reasons. One is that I have a big draw now. And another one is that I have another street to, to bluff him on. And, you know, he could just get confused and fold his king eight, uh, you know, pocket deuces, pocket sixes, uh, a hand like that. And I think I think this play is a little bit goofy and exploitive, but uh, I'm not sure if it's good or bad. So I was I was hoping you guys could tell me if it's bad. <laughs> Well, on, we definitely don't mind exploitive on this show, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I my I mean, my gut reaction. I kind of explained my process why I would probably bet twenty or twenty five on the flop, and so it would set up a profitable turn bluff. And I think, despite the fact that you picked up you know a ton of equity, like you have a great semi bluffing candidate. But the most profitable thing for you to do is like win the pot here even though you have a good draw with one card to go. So I would stick with that plan, and I would bet a size, you know, that folds out, you know, all of his small pairs and all of his ace highs and all of his weird draws. And I'd guess, like, a sizing of around, like, 60 to 65 sounds about right for me. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree. One thing I'm worried about uh, betting 20 on the turn here is if it, gives your uh, potential river bluff less credibility. Okay. Yeah, of course, you could uh, you, you could go for another just really cheap bluff on the river, which uh, is probably what you would want to do uh, as played, you know, if it breaks out and gets checked to you. Just because I think that, you know, if then you, th- you throw 100 in, then you're going to get some really, really curious ace-nine type hands that maybe just don't believe you. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you you bet a sizing more like sixteen this turn, and then fire off a larger river barrel, then like all those types of hands are just gonna fold. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So, in my defense, I would suggest that I I, I think what you're saying is right, and I think my play is goofy and weird and possibly bad, which is why I'm talking to you about it. Um. I think if I were trying to construct a defense for why the river will play out well if I make a goofy underbet on the turn, it's that any king, queen, jack, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, deuce, or, or even an ace, <laughs> so any card in the deck will um, will complete either a gut shot or will turn a pair into trips. And if he thinks that sort of weird weak pairs and gut shots are our hands, I can uh, play this way, then um, I'll at least be hitting some of the hands in my range. Obviously, some of those cards will be better and more plausible uh, for me than than others. Um, but I do think, you know, there just aren't that many rivers. In, in some sense, there's no river. That's a complete blank. And some of them are, are really not blanks. And I think uh, I think I can represent, you know, either trips or a straight or, or yeah, you know, like a queen or a jack, I think, will, will look like a scare card to him. Although he could easily <laughs> actually have those cards in his hand. Um, so that's that's part of what I was thinking. I, 
I also, I don't know if you want to talk about that or if I should get to the next decision point here. It's well, up to you. I do want to. One thing I would say about that is like, I think, I think for that to work out, uh, and this is something that like, I definitely do in game all the time, and I think the varying degrees of success and accuracy. But you sort of have to target what level they're going to be thinking at. Yeah. Uh, so you know, if they're thinking at the level like, oh, uh, you know, this gut shot just came in, uh, and now he's betting again. That's probably what he has. Uh, I'm going to fold, and not at the level where like, okay, well, but think of all the other draws you could have had. So if you if you know a player well enough to sort of, you know, place them at a specific level of thought. Which I definitely think is, you know, possible and extremely profitable when you can. Uh, but given that this was, given this player description, I would say that might be too optimistic. Uh, what do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, I actually, in kind of in Nate's defense, I wouldn't be surprised if, on almost any river, Nate has a profitable bluff of some like very large to overbet sizing. I would not be surprised. I just think, you know, you could make a much better theoretical profit by betting bigger here on the turn. But, like, yeah. I, I understand how, like, in in a vacuum, like, the whole line taken, if you're willing to pull, like, make a large bet on most rivers, could definitely still be, like, a plus EV line. Um, because, yeah, like, will he fold for, like, 70 on the river? when, like, the gut shots came in? Like, probably not. If this guy's playing 2-5, like, 70 is still kind of, like, a smallish bet. But I think once you get, like, over 100, um, I think, you know, there's some players who will call with all their curious hands, but most people will be, like, you know, not worth it for me to call with these small pairs and these ace highs, which I think is still most of his range as played when he just check calls these two small bets. I like that. Um, next decision point, should I should I do that? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, so another thing, and I think, given other things you have said, you'll probably agree with me that worrying about getting check raised too much is is not uh, it's not something to worry about too much. But um, I didn't want to get check raised all in, and betting like a hundred into a hundred gives them a pot size check raise all in. And another thing that was sort of going through my head is that, um, you know, I, I had more options with this. You know, I, I don't want to put $400 in the pot with five high on the turn, but, you know, I, I do have a nice draw at this point. Um, he actually track raises to 60. Uh, and, you know, so that that's a weird under raise. Um, so, and, uh, wait, we, we were talking yeah. about on the flop how we aren't really worried about getting check raise. We didn't, me or Jack didn't really address this, but something I was thinking like, I'm definitely worried about getting check raised on the turn. You know, like when yeah. we'll, if we're betting just 20. And the yeah. thing is, like, about betting 60, it's like, yes, we have a good draw, but I think we still have a profitable, like, a little over half pot bet. And if we get yeah. a big check raise, we could comfortably fold. Like, you know, yeah. we have a straight flush draw on the turn. So, and hold them, like, that's, you know, if we know our player has a hand that he's going to, you know, call a three bet all in with or just, like, never fold on most rivers and maybe even fold on like a diamond or something. Like, I think even though it's painful, like just kind of doing the math, I think we probably have a pretty easy fold for a big check raise on the Mm -hmm. turn. Yeah. But then this is kind of the awkward spot. Now it's like, okay, so obviously we're calling 
at least calling here, but then, you know, it, it gives us a lot well, less river maneuverability, I think. Uh, well, it's not so awkward because the, the race sizing he chose, uh, I mean, I, I think it's like, to me, uh, it's a pretty easy call or maybe not easy, but I think that I would always call here. Uh, I think if we're worried about getting check raised like a larger sizing, maybe like a, a more appropriate sizing given the size of the pot, uh, then I think that's probably a problem with betting this sizing. Given that this player chooses a check raise, you know, like a little 3x to an under bet, uh, then, you know, playing this hand again, I, I like the, I like the 20 more. Uh, but I, I also think, I agree with Zach that getting check raised on the turn uh, seems to be like a more worrisome possibility because I think he's going to be raising a more balanced range on the turn. Maybe not. Maybe doesn't have a ton of value hands. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I, now that I I'm think sort it's... of rambling about this, uh, yeah, this is a more interesting spot. Because I don't think he has that many like great value hands. I mean, what what is he really check raising in this spot? Yeah, I, I'm not like worried about getting check raised from a balanced range when I bet sixty. I'm I'm like worried about getting like bluffed. Like you know, like so if he makes it sixty here, and let's just say for right now we don't kind of go all in over the top of that. Well, I mean, on the river, like what I meant it being awkward, I was kind of thinking ahead and like then let's say he bets like eighty or hundred on the river, like it's. It doesn't really rep much when you shove over that, I think, on the river mm-hmm. versus on the turn. So I think, I don't know, I think now you have, like, definitely a really profitable shove. I think you feel really stupid when he, like, snap calls and you brick. But I think given, like, the range we're assigning him and the fact that, yeah, I think people just, with you some, with what you know now, are really going to play their value hands the way he did like check calling and then making such a small raise on the turn. Given the equity we have, I think we have a pretty profitable three bet all in, but I definitely don't think it's, you know, it's, it's not like a super desirable outcome, but I think it's definitely better than calling where we, where we lose our ability to, to bluff the vast majority of the time on the river. Well, do you, I mean, Zach, do you think stacks are too big to three bet all in here? Uh, so I we mean, had like 110 going into the turn, so we've got like 190 now. So we're raising a bet of 60 to uh, like 380. Though so, I mean, it's a pretty. This is a huge overbet, but it's it, just I think an overbet. But the thing is, when you when you have 380 behind, and you're going to make it always at least like 200, you might as well just go all in for the, you know, added fold equity against I, this type of player. I think. It's not that I don't see the logic of that, but I think that given how much we have behind, I prefer just to call. Uh, you know, unless unless we're sure that this player, you know, doesn't have you know, any strong value hands. Uh, I mean, I guess fours is the one thing that immediately comes to mind. I'm curious, Nate, like what else do you think is in this check-raising range? I, I think it's definitely possible that he check-calls uh, strong hands on the flop, so... I, I do... I, possible he he check calls strong hands on the flop um so just to do the arithmetic the shove is about 350 into 240 over the raise if i do that um mm-hmm. so or sorry 340 over 250 um so you know um i i i think 
I think that he can see the diamonds and the straight combinations as clear as day. I think that this is unlikely to be a very strong hand. Um, I think he's going to have some draws in this range. I think he's going to have some tens in this range. So I think a hand like King 10 could make this play. Um, I think Mm -hmm. a hand like Queen Jack could play this way, like not wanting to bloat the pot on the flop. But then on the turn, thinking, like, am I really not going to take any aggressive action and then be left sort of sitting on my hands with queen high on a brick river? Like, that's not real good from his perspective. I, I could see him doing that. Um, I could also see him with, like, pocket sixes saying, like, boy, if this guy is, you know, messing with me <laughs> yeah. on on this board, like, I should try to knock out some of his hands because there's almost nothing I, I wouldn't mind a fold from especially given the river action. So it feels a lot like a draw that didn't want to bloat the pot on the flop or, or reopen the betting on the flop or a sort of feeler raise. Um, I think you can never really discount the top of the range from people's ranges. That That's not true. I think in a lot of cases where the top of somebody's range makes no sense <laughs> in live games, they'll find ways to have it anyway. Yeah, so I, yeah. I'm not, I would hate to say he can never have a set here. He would never, like, it wouldn't make any sense to do that. Um, I, I think that's probably a mistake. I think he could turn diamonds, too. Um, I, think, I think he might play like that. I think he's got some flexibility with that hand. So I, I think there are some strong value hands here, but there's a lot of, like, Jack nine, king ten, pocket sevens, queen jack, jack eight, eight seven, stuff like that. Uh, do, does that make sense to you? Yeah, and I think yeah. I think while like yeah, especially the way the action went, we can never completely discount really any of the sets. I think we yeah. could, you know, substantially discount them enough that like with your range analysis that you just did, you know, it shows that the majority of his hands, like, yeah, sometimes he has a set and we feel stupid (laughs) and we shove and he calls. Uh, But I think most of the time he has hands that aren't calling and then we could win, you know, this pot without showdown enough of the time to make it a profitable shove. And then with all of our equity, that just kind of adds to the equation. So, And I think if he's going to find... I think he'll find some calls with his better-made hands and his sets, but I also think that shoving... Oh, so can I tell you what I did? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I, I shoved, um, <laughs> and I, I although it's an overbet, like one thing I definitely thought at the time, uh, along with everything else we've been talking about. Not that I thought, not that all this went through my head, but at the time I definitely was happy about making a slight overbet because I thought that except for his very very strongest combination draws, he would have to fold out all his better flush draws and the straight draws, and losing one of these pots like eight high to five high feels pretty bad and is a pretty big disaster <laughs> from a poker theory standpoint yeah and i thought i have to do that like i think even if he has i think if he has like a seven of diamonds and he check raises here i think especially an abc player is even if he thinks i have queen jack of you know of black sometimes is is not going to call 350 more um against an unknown at the rio or even against not like some people who I play with turn out, it turns out that they know me, but I think that like, I think that even if somebody listens to the podcast or something, that's not going to make them more likely to call off three fifty um, with, with just a draw here. So 
given all that and given I given that I just couldn't see this person very often exposing himself to river action so cheaply with his better made hands, uh, you know, even a hand like four three suited the turn two pair, like going twenty to sixty, I just I just didn't see it. And some of this is like a physical read thing at the time, but like he seemed like a protection aware player and I just I just couldn't put him on a good value hand. Uh, so I moved all in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I agree with you guys now. I wasn't really... When I was advocating for a call earlier, uh, I don't think I strongly considered reverse implied odds enough. Uh, and I think for that reason, I can definitely get behind a shove here. Uh, and I think coupled with sort of a live read that you think the stronger hands are somewhat less likely uh, than we might have thought, then I think it's definitely sort of a slam dunk show yeah. here. So I guess I'm curious what you think about the 20 now, because obviously like I feel all smart when it works out perfectly for me <laughs> and it turns out, so like it turns out he didn't have the ace 10 he was willing to go to the felt with and certainly not like the Queens, the pocket nines, the pocket fours, whatever. And, and obviously I got lucky there. Um, he obviously chose to make a play that, that I was able to react in a way that I thought was profitable against. And although there was that element of luck, it was something that factored into my decision to bet 20 on the turn. I think getting $60 of dead money in there, or then getting a fold and, and he did fold um, for a little while. And like he hemmed and hawed for, about, you know, 20, 30 seconds, but he, I don't think he was real close to calling. Um, and, I guess I'm wondering, like, this was part of my plan when I bet the 20 on the turn, and I don't think it'll happen all the time, but but does that change your view of of the sort of silly underbet on the turn? Like, do you think this will happen often enough to get, like, sort of another factor in favor of that play? Or do you still prefer the two-thirds pop bet? Which, honestly, I kind of like. Yeah, uh, so I'm a little bit undecided, and I want to know what you guys think. So, I think... I think his turn uh, raising range is a lot more draw heavy than his turn range as a whole. Yeah. Because uh, I think he's betting a lot of his draws. Uh, I think the vast majority of his 7 8, uh, 8 jack, jack, queen type hands, uh, and even some of his, you know, suited hands, uh, you know, King seven of diamonds that we sort of mentioned. I think a lot of those are betting the flop. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think when we get to the turn, the range is so sort of middling, you know, pair type hands that I, I still like the two thirds pot bet because I think that we're folding more of those on the turn. Uh, and we set ourselves up to fold out a lot of those that choose to call us on the river. Uh, and also we don't have to be as worried about reverse implied odds when it goes uh, check call uh, on the turn and then we hit on the river. So I still like the two-thirds pot bet, but I, I think if this guy is going to be turning a lot of his uh, you know, middling pair type hands into a bluff uh, when you do bet small on the turn, then exploitively I do like the line. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the thing is, I just think it's too big an assumption to make, given the little info you had. But I could definitely see situations arising where you kind of have, you know, someone who, with most of their range, 
that is like middling pocket pair and below, uh, they're going to check call one kind of standard bet on that type of flop. And then when they get bet 20 into with most of their range, they're going to raise for the reasons you described, Nate, then yeah, I think it's a really great play. I just don't think in the situation you likely had enough info for that to like in the, at the decision point to have been the most profitable. But I think there's definitely a lot of players where maybe not after like, maybe only after like a session or two, you could have enough information for that to be the slam dunk, like exploitable line. I think that's right. I, I think that's exactly right. I do think that there's not going to be an obvious raise size. And if he does raise, then I'm going to be able to learn a lot. I think from your sort of standard two, five opponent about his Mm -hmm. hand from the raise that he, from the size that he chooses. And I also think that he can't shut me out of the pot by racing. And I, I I really agree that, you know, in Hold'em, there's one card to come. He might fold the diamond anyway. Like my, my situation is not really great here like like this isn't a hand i want to avoid getting shut out of the pot with at all costs but i do think that's like a benefit of the play is not getting shut out of the pot with my straight flush draw and given all that even though this exact scenario won't happen a lot and and you're absolutely right like i couldn't be justified in like anticipating this exact thing um i do think that enough i i I guess part of me wonders whether like the aggregate of all the different goofy situations that could arise when i bet 20 might not make this a nice play um all that said if i like had to bet a lot of money on it uh probably the two-thirds pop bet might be better but um given that i had this goal of trying out more um bet sizes i think this is a case where being able to elicit raises from draws sometimes being able to learn a lot from a raise size and, and with this exact hand, like five high and a nice draw um, with so much flexibility, I think the sort of goofy under bet had, had a lot going for it. Uh, And I I don't think it's a terrible play. I I don't Mm -hmm. know if you agree. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't, I I don't think it's a terrible play, Uh, but I also, what I like, you know about generally the sort of approach to poker that you're uh, divulging here is that I think experimenting like this is really valuable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's probably a lot easier just in terms of being motivated to work on a situation like this to have actually played it than to yeah. just create it. Although, I mean, if you if you can sort of simulate it, that would be nice too. But uh, I think that you know one sort of immediate takeaway from this. Uh, is that I think, you know, we can agree that underbetting uh, a turn situation like this is going to be really profitable when players sort of overbluff uh, their, you know, weaker pair type hands. And that, that's, I think that's pretty valuable information because I think there's just a lot of times where you're going to get checked to a position, you can make a smaller bet, and then you're going to get checked to again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when you start accumulating those sorts of, scenarios and figuring out what are things that you know tilt the sort of strategies you come up against in two five uh what are situations that tilt the counter strategy towards underbetting uh and as you sort of accumulate those things then it makes underbetting a much more viable and studied part of your game wow. yeah i like that i guess sorry did was there 
I don't mean to interrupt. Is there something else you wanted to say? No. No, no, no. Yeah. So part of what I'm doing here is riffing on something that I've heard, like, in instructional videos and from super experts who, like, crush the 500 Zoom game on PokerStars and so on, Mm -hmm. which is this really interesting idea, I think, that if a card favors your range, but if you don't want to split your range by into a betting range and a checking range, then you can still make a small bet with your whole range if you're out of position. So uh, I think a classic example of this is you, know, you defend the small blind with a necessarily pretty narrow range. You check call the flop with again, you know, and your range is even narrower. And then a card comes on the turn that hits that narrow range, uh, and you're still deep enough that you you don't want to give away the information by splitting that narrow range into a checking range and a betting range. However, you want to somehow take advantage of the fact that this good event happened, that that this card that in and not relative to your opponent uh, came. You know, that's a good thing. You should be able to take advantage of it. And the suggestion. Is, and I think this gets associated with sauce sometimes, is that you can bet like a sixth of the pot with your whole range. And then you're bloating the pot a bit, which is, although that's bad because you're out of position, other things equal, it's it's even more good because this good event happened for your range. And obviously that logic only really applies when you're out of position because you know the other player gets a chance to act anyway. In my own this hand is partly something I was thinking about on the plane headed out to Las Vegas, which is that if if you think somehow that your opponents are not going to check-raise you properly, or that they're going to leak a lot of information, or that they're going to get passive, let's just say, that should mm-hmm. also apply in position. Um, it, you know, the, the only reason that that shouldn't also apply in position in some sense, is that uh, you might get check-raised. You're, you're giving your opponent something by reopening the betting. And it seemed to me here that uh, given you know how wide my range is, uh, given that I can have a lot of two pairs that he can't have, that the four helps me at least as much as it helps him. And there are some reasons to check behind with your five high on the turn. And, and another way to like conceptualize this hand is instead of having a betting two-thirds betting zero you know instead of those being my two ranges i i instead had a betting two-thirds betting you know whatever it was a sixth of the pot <laughs> on the turn you know as a way of uh, sort of a modified check behind um to sort of punish my opponent slightly for for taking this for, for the fact that um my range was a little bit better than his and that this okay event had happened on the turn for me plus i still had this positional advantage so it's this this way of trying to monetize the advantages that that accrue to you during a hand and um you know theoretically it doesn't entirely hold water precisely because i am reopening the betting for him but if these other things mitigate it um i sort of was was conceptualizing this as a modified check is that all just insane it's well, go ahead, Zach. I just say no. I mean, this sounds like a really good play to make against, like, you know, kind of like decent tags plus. All I would say is that, like, the way that I primarily use, like, the study of game theory as it relates to playing, like, 
one, two, and two, five is to like maximally exploit my opponents. And I, yeah. I think that doing that on like that type of run out and that type of current turn card as like, like more of a set play is going to be not the most profitable line you can take. Kind of like we were saying yeah. before, based on certain assumptions, there are some players where that bet sizing is the most profitable, but I think that's normally because people make such giant mistakes in terms of the frequencies with their ranges. And, you know, I don't have to repeat this for you, where yeah, I first yeah, heard yeah. about this from Ed Miller, but I mean, when you think about just the massive frequency mistakes that people are making constantly and how you can garner, you know, a decent amount about that, especially with experience, uh, you know, in a relatively short period of time. I think thinking about this stuff, at least for me, like as you're saying, it's like, wow, this is really cool. It's something to study. Uh, this is something that like, you know, I think will definitely increase my EV against like better players that I find myself in situations in. But it's not something that is going to be like any type of go-to thing against the vast majority of people I play against because they're they're just going to respond so incorrectly to, you know, so many different types of bet sizings. Mm. Yeah. I, the only thing I would add is that I think part of what's essential to using to using theory like this is to sort of distill uh, how much of this strategy is sort of predicated on both players understanding that a good event just happened for someone's range. Mm-hmm. And once you can sort of distill how much of the strategy is based on that, then I think you start to find what's really applicable for these low-stakes games. Mm. Uh, because I just don't think... I mean, I don't think... I always know uh, instinctively you know, when certain cards are you know, good for my range, good for the opponent's range. And I think I know a lot more uh, and pick up on that stuff a lot more than my opponents do. So uh, that, that's my only concern. But I think once... You can do that, uh, and let me know how you do. Uh, <laughs> then I think you have something really valuable on your hands. Yeah, yeah. I I think that the sort of modified checking will. I, I think that opponents are generally not aware of all the good and bad events that happen. That said, I'm not sure how much of that depends on it. Um, I mean, just the fact that you're bloating the pot a bit when, in fact, you have a better range, and in fact, good things have happened for you i think that that's really good <laughs> in in a lot of these games so mm. no that yeah. i mean that makes a lot of sense for sure and, and again i think it's one of these cases where it's like i think nate every action you did in this hand i think uh you know especially a little bit in retrospect uh, not being results oriented but just like thinking more about the hand like was plus ev but when you're playing against players you know that are frequently making such big theoretical mistakes it's just often not the most plus EV is kind of like I think that's right. how I feel about a lot of this stuff. It's like, oh, this like makes sense and this will work. But like against this type of player, maybe that bet sizing just does it a little bit more, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like that a lot. Um, I'm probably running out of time, but I'd, I'd love to ask you one more question about this hand if, if you're willing. Is that okay? <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. We, we sort of have a variable episode uh, run length. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> This is good. This isn't like frigging syndicated television, you know. Like, like we don't. Have, we have more. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Kudos to you. That's good. Um, so let's say I make what's probably the better play and bet two thirds of the pot on the turn. Um, and let's say he just calls. Are you planning to bluff a lot of rivers if he checks to you? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think 
you know, the range we're target like we're just making assumptions about a player's range based on the information we had uh, that we have, and then consequently we're making assumptions about what he's going to do with that range. And I think that with the information we have, we can be confident that on the river to a big bet, he just has so few, you know, good value hands and so few hands that an average player, average ABC player, is willing to call down three bets with. So I think we have a profitable bet. I think once we bet 60 on the turn, I'm not planning on overbetting the river the way I would if they just called it 20. But I yeah. think I'm planning on doing a similar sizing because, I mean, then you make King-10 uncomfortable. And if you could make King-10 uncomfortable, well, then against yeah. the way we think he's Game playing over, range, you win. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I agree. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that's, yeah, so... As I've said, he folded. That's that's the hand. Uh, probably several mistakes, but um, but I feel like I'm growing as a player. So so thanks for letting me talk about it with with you guys. Um, so yeah, Nate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, but despite them hearing how smart you are about playing and talking about hands, they don't actually uh, know about uh, your your podcast. So tell them tell them about it and why they should listen. Uh, yeah, so I co-host Thinking Poker, the Thinking Poker podcast with uh, Andrew Brokus, who goes by Thinking Poker online. You can find it at thinkingpoker.net. And um, yeah, we like doing what we're doing. We've been at it for about four years now. But but you guys are awesome. This was a lot of fun. I will definitely start listening to the show. Um, I learned a lot, and I'm really grateful you guys had me on. So So thank you very, very much. Thanks, Nate. That's very, very nice of you. Yeah, thank and, yeah, you. Really enjoyed having you, so we'll look to do it again uh, in the near future. Fantastic. Yeah, well, thanks pre- so much. Have a great <laughs> so, Yeah, thank you. Please listen to Nate's podcast. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Hi, all. Uh, I'm bringing you guys a special message today. Uh, Zach and I want to reward all of our loyal listeners uh, and even some of our Uh, first-time listeners here, we wanted to offer everyone a free private lesson. Uh, Zach and I both really love to teach, and uh, we've enjoyed the new students that we've gotten through the podcast, but as several of our students have, you know, not been achieving many of their initial poker goals and are taking some time off the game this summer, uh, we're looking to expand our coaching studios even further. Uh, So to receive this lesson, email either Zach or I at uh, Zach. Um, or Jack at JustHandsPoker.com before next week's episode goes up on August 2nd. Um, Also, if you have any friends that you think might be interested in a one-on-one poker coaching, if you refer them and they become a student of ours, we'll send 100 bucks your way. Uh, So yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, you can send hands to the show at our website, JustHandsPoker.com. And we'll see you next week. Bye.